0: From Deerber, this is the Lock Tomb Podcast. I'm Amy. And I'm Mel. Today we're covering chapters 9 and 10 and flashback chapter John 518 of Nona the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. This will finish up day two of the book. Woohoo. woo <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry. Woohoo. <laughs> woo-hoo day two
0: (laughs) apologies for the delay between episodes we are alive and well and living but we have been extremely busy outside of my kind of standard capitalism job i've been working on editing our (laughs) homestuck episode which is wonderful but also so long and mel what have you been up to
1: I have been up to all sorts of weird life things. I think I mentioned this in a past episode, but my partner and I are having a kid. Yeah. And, you know, with that comes much preparation. And we got married. You know, yeah. We, like, that's helpful when having child. Yeah, buddy. And we found an apartment that we we will be moving into shortly. And my to-do list is hilarious. It's like all these like big things like look into daycare, oh God. find a doula, sign up for birthing class, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it's a lot. I have missed recording. Thanks to everyone who has reached out. Like Amy said, we're doing just fine. We're just a little chaotic. And that's, that's okay. Yes. Oh, and this reminds me, for those of you who have bought stickers recently we are out of stock and i did not realize that until a couple orders came in and so i am restocking it might take a little minute you will get your merch it just might take a little longer
0: so thank you for your patience I also think there might be one or two pins that somehow made their way back to our PO box. <laughs> so those will be going back out.
1: <laughs> Apparently they weigh just just a little too much. So if you haven't gotten your pin, it's probably because it's gonna be in the mail for a little bit longer. So apologies. You know, we're podcasters. We're not we're not as good with <laughs> with physical things. <laughs>
0: All right, well, all that being said,
1: Amy, before we get into
0: this, (laughs) I
1: have a question for you. Okay. What is the name of the rock band that Magnus and Abigail introduced Nona to in one of her river dreams? I have no idea. Varun 5. (laughs) Which, by the way, is not my joke. It's so funny. Thank you, Gabe, for writing in with oh this God. joke. Thank
0: you, Gabe. That was that was good.
1: Gabe made me laugh out loud, and because things have been so chaotic, it felt really lovely to be able to, you know, use a joke from one of our listeners. So, thanks, y'all, for those of you who have written in with jokes. I'm going to be sprinkling them around our upcoming episodes because they are really funny, and I couldn't have thought of a better one myself.
0: (laughs) So these last couple of chapters in day two are pretty short, but also very juicy. Nona has a subpar rest of her day after she makes that fake radio call to Crown. We learn why Nona and Cam don't go to the beach anymore, and Pira comes home with some bad news. And then finally... The last chapter is a flashback sequence where John and the crew raid a graveyard and really basically become Twitch streamers.
1: (laughs) I love how that's brought in. Mm -hmm. We'll get there. We'll
0: get there. So let's jump into chapter nine. So
1: the last time we saw Nona, right, she made that fake radio called a crown Mm -hmm. because hot sauce told her to to kind of see if it would impact the people who were watching the school. And sure enough, when she heads back inside, Hot Sauce is like, yo, what did you say? (laughs) And Nona said, I couldn't really make anything up, so I just pretended I was having a conversation with someone I know. Did it do anything? And Hot Sauce is pretty spooked because the person watching the school fled.
0: Right, which means that whoever it is definitely took Nona talking to Crown as some sort of threat or some sort of signal. But anyway, they run off and that kind of sets the tone for the rest of the school day, which is pretty crummy.
1: Yeah. There's like, you know, more gunfire outside than usual. And, you know, this could be a direct result of Nona's radio call, or it could just be the escalating tensions that the city is going through that Pyrrha experiences a little bit later on. And so, you know, tensions are are getting real high up in here.
0: Yep. So Nona finally heads home with Cam, and they <laughs> these so, some of these chapters, I'm just like, and then they eat some sausage rolls, <laughs> and then they take a nap, and then... <laughs> In this little bit, Cam makes Nona eat some sausage rolls and they do the sword practice and Nona kind of starts to reminisce on when they used to go to the beach after they were done with Bones and Swords. That sounds like a band name. (laughs) Bones and Swords. (laughs) Bones and Swords. Uh, TM. And so we move into this flashback from the last beach trip they took. And it starts with Nona almost having a tantrum. I guess like back in the before this story happened, when Nona would get really upset, they would take her to the beach to calm her down. And so that's what happened the last time that they went to the beach. She almost throws a tantrum and then pa- Pal is like, take her to the beach.
1: Yeah. Also, I want to make a note here because someone wrote in, one of our New Zealand listeners, they wrote in quite a long time ago, so... Thanks for, if you're still listening, Indy. I'm not sure if that's your name. It's just part of uh, your email. So I'm going to use Indy to refer (laughs) to you. But Indy, you know, mentions that there are lots of different phrases and things that really, if you're from New Zealand, you would pick up on. And jandals apparently is one of those things, which are, I guess, like flip-flops. But jandals is like a slang term used in New Zealand for... For sandals and that is cited here as they're getting ready to go to the beach known as putting on her jandals
0: also points out that in australia they're thongs which when i studied abroad in australia i thought was very very funny (laughs) but i was like 19 so i feel like it's not my fault i
1: don't get it why do you think that's funny no (laughs) (laughs) i'm kidding uh, I just wanted to hear you explain to me what a thong was on our podcast. But. Oh,
0: brother. <laughs> anyway, right. Cam and Nona, and Cam and Nona <laughs> walk past. So, huh, so Cam and Nona walk past the graveyard just as sort of an aside um, on the way to the beach th- this time, the The last time they went to the beach. And all the bones have been dug up and burned, which makes sense because that way necromancers can't use them. and. Then she finally gets to the ocean and puts her feet in the salt water and is immediately in a much better mood. Now that we know who Nona is, this whole bit is like, it just screams Electo.
1: Yeah. I think if if you were in doubt before, there are many, many clues in this chapter that Nona is the Earth's soul. Right. Otherwise known as Electo. Otherwise known as... Barbie? (laughs)
0: sure (laughs) al al yeah There are also jellyfish in the water that would kill a normal human so cam can't join not that cam is a normal human but still they only kind of tickle nona and this is one of the first moments i think that we get some insight into nona's self-healing powers which are like well and beyond those of a lictor which is pretty incredible there's a passage in this bit that I thought was really interesting because although she's definitely a lecto, it sounds kind of Harrow-esque. And that passage is, saltwater had always relieved her. Saltwater made her feel as though if there was someone in there with her, she would suddenly know the words to tell them everything. And that seems very pool scene to me.
1: Yeah. It's also interesting because in the pool scene, the reason why Harrow jumps into the pool is because it was part of her mother's rituals. And so you get you see sort of where you see S E A where nice. that <laughs> where that originates, you know, just an example of a ritual that sort of loses its original meaning but still makes its way into the modern day. We've known salt water is significant, I think, since, you know, Gideon the Ninth. And here we get a little bit more about why why it matters so much.
0: Yeah, and I do wonder if the reason that Electo was sort of laid to rest in like a tomb kind of filled with salt water was more as like a tribute to her, or if salt water is not only a thing that is important to Electo because, you know, Electo is Earth and Earth is mostly salt water, at least on the surface, or if there's also something like magical about the salt water because there's also the river. Anyway. Stay tuned. There are a couple of things where Harrow and Electo, as we've talked about before, with like food and now salt water, where they are two peas in a pod.
1: Right. And, you know, in this chapter, before leading up to, I guess, the climax of the chapter, we get more. It's really beautifully written, as is, you know, all of Tamsin Muir's writing, but in particular, there's a passage that says, the only terrible part was an awful longing to let her head go below mm-hmm. the surface, to lose all buoyancy and lie at the bottom like a flat fish. Mm-hmm. And again, just Nona really wanting to become one with the planet that she's on and yeah. specifically with the water and just be, like be part of it and be it. And so again, that, <laughs> you know, that makes total sense yep. based on who she is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I really hope that at the end of Electo the Ninth, that Nona will kind of make an appearance again as sort of like whatever part of Electo she is and get the chance to actually do this. I wonder if they'll be able to wake the first house back up.
1: I was thinking that like wouldn't it be the most hopeful ending ever if you could restore earth's soul to earth's body yeah it would be like <laughs> you know? a very
0: wally moment where they'd like all show back up on the first plan, like one kid's gonna plant a bush
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah I, that would be really beautiful who knows that would be it would be an interesting ending if if that was the one good thing that we got mm. you know if everyone else dies
0: Okay, I I would much rather see, like, the universe burn than not have Gideon and Harrow make out at the end.
1: <laughs> Wait, oh, I mean, uh, sure, but, like, it's very human-centered of you to- Sorry about <laughs> to- it.
0: It's Gideon and Harrow. <laughs> I have to make exceptions. <laughs> That's
1: fine. That's fine. I, yeah, I mean, I, I basically agree in the context of of a fictional book. Yes. <laughs> anyway...
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, when Nona heads back towards Camilla after swimming, she sees that Cam is surrounded by people with guns and they also have a motorbike. And Nona's kind of watching them, and Cam can't understand what they're saying, but Nona can. In this bit, there's also a mention of Just Hope, wh- who, as we know, is the leader of Merv Wing.
1: Right. And I think, you know, Nona really wants to help and kind of starts to make her way towards. Kind of up the dock, but still in the water. And Cam makes some sort of hand signal. It's, I think it's described as basically the number four, but the hand is down, which mm-hmm. is part of this like elaborate code word and hand signal thing that Camilla Palamides, Nona, and Pira have, so they can communicate in all these secret, cool ways. <laughs> and this is one of them. And Nona does stay put even though she is listening to to what is being said. And again, here in the description of kind of Nona observing what's going on, when Camilla says to these Mervwing operatives, speak house, what Nona sees is their lips change, but can still understand them. And so again, just a really beautiful through line and consistency throughout this whole book where Tamsin is really continuing to give you hints that Nona can understand all languages without telling you she can
0: understand all languages. Mm-hmm. And it is really helpful that Nona can understand what they're going to say because <laughs> Cam can't understand it, but Nona understands that they're saying that the the main guy is like, okay, you can shoot her now. And so Nona yells out to Cam warning her and the group of people around Cam just sort of immediately turn and one of them shoots Nona instead. And this moment is really interesting because not only is Nona shot <laughs> shot and like is fine, but also is shot and is still okay enough to basically follow Pyrrha's protocols. <laughs> I was just thinking yeah. like if I had been shot, I do not care what someone had said to me about what I was supposed to do. <laughs> I would be thrashing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> It's an extreme bodily trauma here. Yeah. Like you you know, you go into sh- not that I have been shot before, but from what I understand, your body goes into shock, mm-hmm. you know? It is it is this is a significant injury and I think it's described here as it felt like she got punched in the shoulder.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then she
1: essentially, right, she has the wherewithal to play dead. Like uh-huh. she was taught and like kind of sink to the bottom and everything she should really get an oscar for this performance i think it does does what it needs to do it also gives cam enough time then to take care of all of these people
0: yeah and by enough time we're talking 20 seconds (laughs) Yeah, in 20 seconds (laughs) cam takes out every single one of these people
1: right i think it's like six of them
0: yeah yeah all with guns, and I think Cam has a knife. But what she also has when Nona goes up to her is Palamity Sextus because this is the first time where we basically meet Paul. Mm -hmm. Cam has, well, it's Cam Pal. There's one eye that's the beautiful gray and then one eye that's like Cam's kind of darker brown color. And uh, Nona immediately understands that both of them are kind of sharing the body at the same time. And this makes them kind of a new person. And later we'll meet that person as Paul.
1: Yeah, this is like a really spooky sort of first encounter. Really good foreshadowing, right, for what's to come. And that Mm -hmm. we see what's possible, right? Mm -hmm. Like Tamsin gives us a taste into like what is actually possible for Camilla and Palamides. Mm -hmm. Obviously, this has like a really intense physical effect Mm -hmm. on the body that they are sharing. And there's an alarm that goes off, right, on the clockwork that Cam is wearing. (laughs) Cam's body is wearing around their wrist. And Cam is like pretty calm. Talk about another another person, people who are just able to like really keep their chill (laughs) under extreme pressure and pain.
0: Yeah, because it turns out that that blood sweat that necromancers sort of we haven't really seen since Gideon the Ninth because everyone in Hera the Ninth was a lictor. But these necromancers would kind of bleed or like kind of sweat blood when they did difficult necromancy. And Cam has that kind of happening over her entire body, just like a full body blood sweat, which is bad. But somehow Nona gets them home driving a motorbike <laughs> and Pyrrha is able to take over.
1: <laughs> yeah, there, there is this really amazing fan art that I tried to find before hopping on, and I went through all of my the likes that I've ever liked on Twitter to find wow. this art. I couldn't find it. I don't understand because I definitely like this. I feel like I might have even retweeted it at one point. There is an awesome fan art of this moment of Nona driving the bike home with Cam on the back mm-hmm. and like in Cam just being really injured. It's so good. So if you are listening and you know what I'm talking about, or maybe you're the artist. Just tag us on Twitter so I can retweet it because
0: it is so good.
1: And I've only seen one person depict this scene. Maybe there's more. but
0: Uh, Yeah, give us more. It's so good. I I have also seen this fan art, which could only have happened because you had liked it or retweeted it, since I don't engage (laughs) (laughs) in social media of any kind. But anyway, Pyrrha takes over and tells Cam that she's in thanergy shock. Which is an interesting term.
1: Yeah, I was curious, like what what it is.
0: Well, thanergy is death energy, and I guess when I I don't the only thing I was confused about is I'm not I don't remember if like soul magic is more of like a thanergetic or a thalergetic thing, but it must be thanergetic, and her body is experiencing too much thanergy as a living thallergetic thing. It can't handle it. Mm.
1: I think that's as good a theory as any, right? Like, they basically, you know, Camilla and Palamides did necromancy in a body that is not meant for it, mm-hmm. which is why when Palamides, when it's Palamides' turn to kind of come into consciousness in Cam's body, it's like for a very short period of time mm. because Camilla's body can't actually handle Palamides' necromantic soul. And so I think this is similar, and it's even worse because they actually used quite a bit of necromancy to essentially save their lives. Right. But in saving their lives, they did a lot of damage.
0: Right. And Pyrrha is really chastising Cam and saying, like, "This, you cannot do this. You are killing the both of you. And Cam just, like, really isn't taking it to heart and asks Pyrrha to lie and tell Palamides that... She was fine. Anyway, it's it's an intense moment. And then Camilla says something that will really, really, really come back later in talking with Pyrrha about this experience. Camilla says, it was good. It was good. We were happy. And this will come back later when Palamides and Camilla decide to make the sort of ultimate sacrifice and merge into one person, destroying both of them as individuals. Because it, they—that's what they want. That's what they feels happiest. good.
1: They're, it mm-hmm. makes them happy. Yeah, yeah. Tough, a tough pill to swallow for many of us.
0: I know. <laughs>
1: <But> again, <laughs> really wonderful foreshadowing here. Yeah? Yep. Yeah. Following this conversation, Nona and Pira have a moment together, and Pira pours herself a drink. Pira peels back the blinds or the tape mm-hmm. on the window. I can't remember. And looks at Varun and drinks and toasts to Camilla. Mm -hmm. And I think what Pyrrha says is, here's to Camilla Hecht, yet another of devotion's casualties and knocked back the glass. And I think here, Nona, being Nona, very intuitive, kind of understands what people are thinking and feeling without them having to say it, says to Pyrrha why... You know, is Camilla going to be okay? And, you know, Pierre says, yes, I think. And when Nona presses her, she says, well, then why did you just say goodbye? <laughs> and Pierre says, you know, how did you know? And then says, never mind, I, I don't want to know. I think also in Pierre's communication or like toast to Camilla Hecht, she speaks directly to Varun and says, mm-hmm. no, I don't blame you, man. He was always looking for things to throw himself on. And that is in reference to Gideon the first. And Pyrrha essentially saying, Varun, it's not your fault. (laughs) Gideon knew what he was doing.
0: Yeah, it makes me wonder. I know we've talked about this before, but like, how much does Pira know that she doesn't really let on? I don't think she can actually like communicate with Varun in the way that Nona can, but it's interesting.
1: She's existed for almost as long as Varun.
0: This right? is true. Like
1: they, they have they have been playing cat and mouse mm-hmm. for 10,000 years. And so in a way, too, I think with Pira and Wake's relationship, there is this kind of enemy chasing you, catching you, loving you relationship. Mm-hmm. Similarly, you know, with... The souls of these dead planets, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Pyrrha might have a similar sort of dynamic or feeling about
0: it. Right. So then we move into chapter 10. And this chapter is mostly Pyrrha coming home after the, the city has kind of had a really bad day and tells the fam about kind of the level of shittiness in the city currently. But first, Nona tries to let Or to convince Cam to let her go back to school, and Cam refuses, which I thought was kind of an... I don't know why Nona wants to go back to school so badly. I
1: think just to see her friends, like, be with her people, you know?
0: Yeah. So then they pick up dinner from the fishmongers and learn that the space elevator, which is a cool sci-fi thing, has been breached, and there's been a lot of unrest. So there's kind of been, like, rioting in the city all day. And then Pyrrha gets home. And Pyrrha is very disheveled and also covered in blood. And so Pal yeah. kind of appears to patch her up.
1: Yeah. I think Pyrrha's like, it's not my blood. Like, don't don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. And Camilla and Palamides, being who they are, still like to do a one-over.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think Nona sees or touches Pyrrha's like five o'clock shadow. There's some stubble on Pyrrha's face. And Pyrrha makes a joke that's like, Palamides, can't you fix that for me? You know, just like do some necromancy. You can stop the hair growth on my chin, essentially. And Palamides says that he has worked on a body like hers before, and he definitely doesn't want to do that (sighs) again. And (laughs) you thought, I think uh, your note is that you thought maybe this was Hera's body. I thought maybe this was Kitherea's body. But it is interesting that it's singular. So I don't I don't know.
0: Yeah, because he's definitely kind of worked on both of those bodies and they were both lictors. I just thought it was yeah. Harrow's body because he says like nothing, not for less than a brain hemorrhage or something, which is the thing that Harrow was literally <laughs> experiencing. <laughs>
1: interesting. Yeah. So it could be.
0: But I think he's definitely worked on both of them. So it's a little bit confusing. Although I guess maybe he mostly like told Kitharayat. Or he no. Wait, did he work on Kitherea? He worked on I
1: mean he like sped up her cancer cells. Oh, you know, that's he definitely true. worked on it when he was murdering her.
0: But well, you know. I don't know. Maybe he's forgotten about one of the lictors he's worked on. <laughs> yeah.
1: He's blocked them out. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh wait, one side note. I also thought this was funny because when Pura says this to Palamides about the subcutaneous glands or whatever, and that's like the opposite of what Ianthe does to Harrow in Harrow the Ninth.
1: Oh, my God. You're right.
0: (laughs) Pura's just like, oh, you can just do this. And I was like, that's exactly what Ianthe did to (laughs) Harrow. But in reverse.
1: In reverse. That is so funny. Mm -hmm. Wow. I wonder if that was... That had to have been intentional. Like yeah, I'm sure. To that whole joke. It's so funny. Wow. Yeah. But anyway, you know, moving on from the hair jokes, Pyrrha tells Palamides that the rioters found some people to take to the park. These people are suspected of being zombies or necromancers, so they're going to get burned in the park later that night in those mm-hmm. cages. And Pyrrha is. Very strongly, kind of saying to Palamities, you need to stop Cam from going to the park to save them. Right. Pyrrha obviously is like so concerned for (laughs) her family's safety. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And there are a couple interesting quick little dialogues between Pyrrha and Pal here. The first is that they kind of debate around... They have a different... Both of them have different philosophies around who is worth saving. Mm -hmm. And so Palamides essentially says, like, it doesn't matter if they're house. It doesn't matter if they're necromancers or not. They're still people. And they don't deserve this no matter what. And Pyrrha is like... Saving them is not worth y'all's lives. Mm-hmm. And I would have all these people die if it meant that you you would stay alive. And so that's like a very fundamental example of each of their natures and kind of how they approach uh, and, like, and their ethics. And then the other interesting thing here is that Palamides asks Pyrrha if shit is really hitting the fan now. And Pyrrha says no, because people are being motivated by anger right now and not fear. Mm -hmm. and pyrrha says these are just false labor pains and makes this analogy to birth which is like there's a bunch of like noise and hubbub leading up to the actual birth before the birth happens which by the way is is funny because labor is actually really long as someone who just finished or is in the middle of a of a birthing class right now. It's not it's not false labor. You are in labor. It's called early labor and then there's um active labor. So
0: Okay, but whatever. Dr. Any- Mel over here. Anyway, i this. <laughs> what?
1: <laughs> Shout out to all the doulas and reproductive health, you know. People out there, we love you. (laughs) Anyway, I bring this up because there's something really curious that Pyrrha says here, which is that she helped at a birth once, Mm. and whose birth did she help at? Help at? I've seen like theories, like people really latched onto this, Mm -hmm. and some people think that Pyrrha, you know, was there with Wake when Gideon literally, you know, was birthed which I don't know that we have actual evidence of that.
0: We have like, it n- actually Wake contradicts that specifically. Oh, really? When she's like, I gave birth in a shuttle alone. <laughs> right. You remember right. That bit? Totally. So,
1: yeah. But she also could bit. be so, full.
0: I don't know. She could be full of shit. I don't know.
1: Well, also, also
0: Pyrrha says like Gideon
1: punched her out of the airlock. Mm. Mm-hmm. So like, when did that happen? And, like, where was the baby?
0: <laughs> I Yeah, I think in that, like, sort of... <laughs> I think a lot of things happened in that, like, last couple of months with the chase between Gideon and Wake. Yeah. I actually would love to see that fan fiction. Would that not be so cool?
1: <laughs> that would be really, Fill in the really blanks. Great.
0: Yeah. Uh, anyway, I don't know what birth... It also could be that Pyrrha, 10,000 years ago presumably there were there were plenty of births happening at the first house you know you mean pre-resurrection no like in the you know one couple hundred years hundred years or whatever in between in between resurrection and lictorhood like definitely babies were born in those hundred years well right but were they born
1: that way or were they born in the cry in the canister you know in the way that babies are now born in the houses because people really can't reproduce well but yeah is theoretically it's like a slow burn to the point where people are really struggling to have babies Mm. in their bodies like that is definitely not a normal thing in the houses Mm -hmm. because they are living on thanergetic you know stations or planets
0: right right Well, anyway, if you guys have any other theories, um, it could just be sort of a red herring and actually, you know, it's, yeah, it doesn't really matter, but it also could be the key to everything. (laughs) (laughs) That's the beauty, if you will, of these
1: books, which is everything could matter. Nothing could matter. And you don't know until the end.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it turns out actually that Gideon the first is Harrow's father and Pyrrha helped birth. I mean, it could be anything. <laughs> also, this is the bit where Pal tells tells Pira that Cam has a half-sister named Kiki that's part of the kidnapped sixth house oversight body. So kind of making the point that this isn't just oh, we're really nervous about like our families. It's like Cam's close family. Her half-sister, who she's very close to, is currently kidnapped and, and you know, they're not able to find her. And even if it's not her in the cages, the people in the cages have family members who care about them the same way that Cam cares about her sister. Right. Which is a good point. I also will point out that as much as Pyrrha seems to be doing a thing here and throwing people under the bus, she does then later go out and put them out of their misery before they can be killed in this horrible way so spoiler alert (laughs) yeah well if you've gone this far (laughs) (laughs) anyway so i i do think Pierre's a little bit full of shit here i think she's being very protective of her family not only like even though she knows probably in her heart that she's going to go do the exact thing that she's telling cam and pal not to do right it's
1: also different for her, you know. Her body can withstand a lot more harm, <laughs> trauma than Cam's body, mm-hmm. and so she's trying to put the fear into Palamides and Camilla so that they won't do something stupid that gets them killed. And right. Pira has a conscience, of course, mm-hmm. and I, I do wonder if Pira would go take these people out if it weren't for Palamides and Camilla as like the moral compass of the house.
0: I don't know. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess we can never know. I think that Pyrrha does actually have very strong morals, but is also kind of a realist in a way that Cam and Pal are more idealists. Right. Yeah. Right. And
1: Palamides and Camilla are also much younger. You know, Pyrrha's been around many blocks in those 10,000 years and so you know
0: oh yeah so then we get this interesting moment where Nona kind of just goes out to the corridor to get some air and she looks at Varun out the window and it turns out that one of the secrets that she's kept from Camilla and Palamides and Pura is that she can hear Varun sing and finds this song that Varun is singing very beautiful and can kind of, I guess, sort of communicate with Varun. Anyway, she talks to Varun. And wait, Amy, do you
1: know the song that Varun is singing? No. Oh my god, so, is it be a Varun uh, 5
0: song? <laughs> <laughs> Harder to breathe.
1: It's so funny because I was like, what is a Maroon? I like started to make the joke and was like I don't think I know the name of, the- <laughs> is it? No, this love, right? That's like a- This
0: love. Yeah, it's this love. Love is taking, taking a toll on, on me. me. That would be such an she unfortunate sang- song for them to, for Varun to be singing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Although it could oh, be Varun singing it, singing it to Nona. This love is taking a toll on me. Yeah, could be, could be. She said goodbye too many times before. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, all of the Nona cam shippers out there. I guess this is the moment because they definitely cuddle on the bed, and uh, it's. I think it's very cute.
1: It is cute. There's also less a less cute thing that is, you know, probably makes Cam Nona shippers happy. I can't remember actually if it's this chapter or the previous one, but after Nona takes a bath, she, like, has trouble putting her shirt on over her boobs, and Pira is like... (laughs) Pira like, tits, Nona. You don't want to give Cam a heart attack.
0: All the shippers out there are like, yes!
1: (laughs) So, you know, why would Cam have a heart attack if if she's seeing, you know, Nona's boobs, if not to look at them and feel something in the heart
0: oh god (laughs) (laughs) anyway Anyway. nona and cam have this conversation (laughs) nona says that she's not scared of dying and camilla asks her why not and nona says because i like letting go on the pull-up bars and falling off i don't like the part just before you let go and i don't like the part where you hit the floor but i like the letting go and then i'll just read the rest of this passage because it's so good Camilla responds, I don't let go. It's my one thing. And Nona was amazed at that, the idea that Camilla, who could do so much and do it so fluently, could sum herself up as having one thing, amazed to a little that anyone might not love the weightlessness when your fingers slipped off the metal and you hung unsuspended in midair, as though to find some kind of leash or safety rope, as though Nona might really fall.
1: It's so good. Yeah, (laughs) it's so good for a couple reasons. Yeah,
0: I would say the first reason is that the "I don't let go." It's my one thing from Camilla is definitely mirrored in. I mean, this is Camilla's thing when she collects Palamides' bones and when she does everything she can to find Harrow. Like she has, she cannot let go of Palamides, and that's that's like kind of her biggest flaw and strength at the same time and also at the end of the mysterious study of dr sex it literally says i think like i can't forget him and that's my issue and it's kind of the same thing echoed here that she can't forget she can't let go so that's number one
1: that is number one number two is actually i miss this on my read we had jay wrote in to us About this passage and shared, you know, their analysis, which, yeah, of course, but I totally missed it when I when I first read it in that. Why does Nona like being suspended in midair? Mm -hmm. Well, Earth is suspended Mm -hmm. in space, right? Like the Earth is not holding on to anything. Earth is totally weightless, kind of floating around the sun in space. Mm -hmm. And so it makes sense that Nona would really. Love this feeling. Right. So thanks, Jay, for for writing in with that
0: observation. I love that. Yeah, that was a great catch. That finishes off chapter ten. And then we have our last little bit in day two, which is John five eighteen. Again, Nona's falling asleep. So this happens every time Nona falls asleep. We get a John chapter. And this one is John chapter 518, which the fifth letter of the alphabet is E and the 18th is R. So at this point, we have the tower spilled out in these chapters. And I didn't catch the whole cipher thing the first time through, but I would say that this is probably the first time that we hear that, like, if you were able to put the cipher together, that you would hear of the tower right? Mm-hmm. This is, this kind of becomes a huge thing later, but like right now we would have no idea what the tower was. I mean, mm-hmm. God knows we still don't, but. <laughs> so the, you know,
1: this interaction between John and Harrow slash Electo begins with them lying on top of a hill and they're looking at where the stars would be And they are purposefully actually looking away from what John describes as the Southern Cross, which is a constellation that can only be seen, I think, from where from their hemisphere. And he says to who he's speaking with that he was taught that it was an anchor and he prefers thinking of it as an anchor rather than a cross, which I find interesting Because the cross, of course, is symbolic. You know, for when Jesus was crucified on the cross, John is now God, so of course he doesn't like thinking about crucifixion, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so he is gravitating towards it being called an anchor.
0: Yeah, I I looked this up because I suspected that it was probably a, a Maori thing, but it is in fact the Maori call the Southern Cross tepunga i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right but that means the anchor so basically i mean there are multiple mm. there are multiple hints that john is from new zealand and that john is of maori descent but this is definitely like a pretty big hint that is the case yeah
1: yeah and so then i th- <laughs> i think Harrow, electo asked john about the like hand trick. So as we remember from our mm-hmm. last John chapter, he demonstrated to Augustine and Mercy Morn that he could move Ulysses and Titania's hands just like from across the room <laughs> with his mind, which mm-hmm. freaked them out. And then they go on to show the rest of their squad. And it's interesting because here John kind of describes everyone's reaction to this Mm -hmm. and says that Mercy Morn actually had the hardest time accepting it, which I think he was a little bit surprised by because, you know, she is a scientist. She is an atheist. Mm -hmm. But in fact, that is why she had the hardest time. The others have some sort of like religious background in some sense. I think Gideon, I can't remember... They all kind of sounded, it was like mostly Christian religious type vibe. Mostly Christian. Yeah, totally. Mostly Christian. And so, of course, to me, it makes sense that the atheist would have the hardest time because you don't believe in this in you don't have faith. <laughs> and so you see something like this and you're like, what the fuck? This goes against everything I believe, which is that there's a clear science to it all. Mm -hmm. Everything can be explained, maybe, is how Mercy Morn approaches the world. And so it makes sense that this would really throw her off the most.
0: It is interesting, too, because Mercy Morn kind of self-identifies as like the most devout of the disciples post-resurrection. And her house ends up being like kind of the religious fanatics. So it's funny that she was the one who started as an atheist.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. Totally. I didn't even think of that.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I also thought it was really funny. John says that C or what would future be Cassiopeia brought in Nigella on board and Nigella was cool because she was an artist, which I just thought was funny. (laughs) It was funny. John's like, yeah, and she was an artist, which was cool.
1: I feel like this is actually the one moment where I felt I related to John because as someone who's like not an artist, I think artists are so cool. Whenever I'm like around really artistically talented people, I turn into like just an idiot because I just think they are so much cooler than I am. So I was like, I get it, John. Like I get why you think Nigella is cool.
0: She's cool because she's an artist. (laughs) Mel, you understand that you're making art with this podcast yeah but way. it's not visual it's not visual art That's i'm true. like
1: really taken by visual art you know and i i don't produce it myself so
0: mm. i'm intimidated i certainly do not either augustine and mercy warren raved i'm just gonna say it's a and m raid a graveyard to see basically to see if john can do what he's doing with titania and uh, <laughs> Titianya and ulysses <laughs> If he can do it with other corpses, and it turns out he can.
1: Yeah. They also are like starting to run trials to see what he can and can't do, what impacts his ability to do things or not. I think they at first think maybe it's related to the land, but then they like bring a bunch of dead bodies with them to a different location and mm-hmm. they discover that John's power is really amplified if there are dead bodies around they're like i think he says they were like my battery
0: right so at this point i feel like john is like a necromancer and is becoming like a very powerful necromancer but i don't know if let's keep an eye out i'm not sure that he ever until he merges with electo like how powerful he really is well i guess he control well anyway that's a a whole thing for later <laughs> The best part of this chapter for me was the bit where basically John is telling Electo that they decided to become, like, Twitch streamers to, like, see if anyone else was like him, both as protection and also as publicity. And he's like, we decided to stream on the internet. And Electo says, what is this internet? And John responds, see, I did make a utopia. And I have to say, I feel that so hard.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think actually this, what is this internet and see I did make a utopia is Harrow asking God Mm. specifically because like Electo would like kind of know, you know, Electo was like Mm. around.
0: If I were Electo, I would have completely ignored that that was happening on my surface.
1: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) well, fair enough. I mean, although you would probably know about all the servers that were eating up a ton of your energy, you know, Mm -hmm. I think I think Earth would know. Yeah, this was so funny. It's also just really ironic that Tamsin brings in so much pop culture and internet humor into uh-huh. these books, but at the end of this chapter just shits on the internet. I love it. <laughs> Which is it. great. I mean, that's kind of like... We
0: all that hate is like how we exist. love to hate
1: it. We, we all love and hate the internet. So, you know. And so that brings us to the end of... Of day two, day two, which is good, I think,
0: because from here yeah. on
1: out, <laughs> we we get some more action.
0: <laughs> I know. I really, I was, we're, I, we've been struggling with these first couple of, these first two days because, like, really not much happens.
1: And yet we're still able to make really long episodes <laughs> for each of
0: them. Well, I think this one will be a reasonable length. <laughs> Hopefully, but just to make sure that it is actually a ridiculous length, we are going to answer some audience questions.
1: Yeah, and we should say before we answer them that, y'all, thank you so much for writing in. Mm -hmm. We love reading what you share, and also it's going to take us some time to catch up (laughs) and respond to y'all. We really want to try and respond to everyone. It is getting increasingly challenging, (laughs) so keep keep it coming, know that we're reading them, yeah, and we're gonna bring them on as it as it makes sense,
0: yeah, yeah, definitely. I did pick out a couple that I thought were really interesting. The first one was really interesting, a little bit of a tidbit from B who said from our twenty fourth episode where we were talking about known as different friends at school, and who's who's um it's one of the kids has like different like many different fathers like first father second father eldest father whatever
1: I think it's is it um beautiful ruby born in the morning oh is it
0: born in the morning yeah all right so born in the morning has a bunch of different fathers he has like six fathers and I didn't really like think that much of it I just thought it was kind of a found family situation or whatever but b says i always assumed that all of the mini father names are known as direct translation from chinese my extensive reading of the untamed fan fiction tells me that it's possible in chinese to call people eldest brother second eldest brother etc so i just assumed that this was going on for all of those fathers and i kind of looked this up and i think this is totally legit i think this could be it like that's kind of a common thing maybe not even just in chinese but in some, in different languages
1: yeah i love that i would never have known that mm-hmm. I, I you know there are so many things in this book that that i read and i'm like i don't i feel like this probably has a deeper meaning but i'm just not sure and i mm-hmm. love that there's so many people <gasps> yeah. in this fandom who come at these books from all these different mm-hmm. perspectives and experiences and like together we build up this really awesome and robust understanding of the book so Mm-hmm. Thanks B for writing in. Really, yeah, cool. that
0: was really interesting. I also wanted to just say one thing. There, someone wrote in. I brew baker. I don't know your name, but thank you for writing in because you did say that you are an art therapist and have studied Victorian imagery and symbolism. And there is a whole melon thing. Woo-hoo. I don't know what this means. I don't know what it means that there's I a whole melon thing. Need. To know, but we need to know. We actually need you to write in with some more information about the melon thing, because I mean that would be life changing. Why the melon?
1: Yep. Why the melon? And if if you all don't know what we are talking about right now, you did not listen to all of our episodes. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: feel like we get a lot of emails about the melon.
1: We do, yeah. What the fuck is going on with the l- melons, man?
0: Ay, ay, ay. All right. Do you wanna do Bennett's?
1: Yeah. So we we got another question from Bennett. Thank you for writing in. It was a question about Wake's yellow eyes. And so Bennett writes, I was thinking about the lipochrome eyes thing that both John and Wake, and therefore Gideon, have them. But John wasn't born with them. Electo as Earth gave them to him as part of his necromancy gift. So how did Wake get the yellow eyes? Theoretically, this is the same world as us, and people don't just naturally have yellow eyes. Did Wake get a gift from a different planet to counter John? Did she get them somehow from Electo or Resurrection Beasts? I would love to hear your thoughts. So I, I don't know that I have like a total answer for this. I can tell you what I think, which is I thought that people could have yellow eyes. And if that is the case, then it's possible that Wake just had yellow eyes. I think what is curious to me is what made God's eyes yellow? What is it about Earth's gift to God that changed his eyes from black to to
0: gold? Is That's a question that I have also. But yeah, I don't know, Amy. What do you think? Well. So I thought of it as like amber eyes, which do exist genetically. If you think of lipochrome, which Mercy mentions in Harrow, like lipochrome, recessive, like lipochrome is, I think, a feature that exists in like very amber eyes. I don't really know like what lipochrome is. But anyway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, we actually, I defined this in one, in one of our episodes. Lipochrome is a pigment. Lipochrome is a yellowish pigment.
0: Okay. So, so, so it does like, I'm looking at a chart right now of lipochrome amounts in different eye co- colors, and amber eyes have a very high lipochrome amount. So, I think that that's, that was like my idea of what it was. But I was also confused because after 10,000 years of like a small population or like a kind of a, yeah, because like, I mean, assume the people who escaped Earth were, were not, a large group, you would think that you would quickly lose super recessive traits like yellow eyes, but maybe not.
1: Well, it's also been 10,000 years. So there's all sorts of like diversity that happens in evolution and and that sort of thing. I also just, we actually don't know if Blood of Eden is part of the people who left Earth mm. before God blew it up. We don't—I feel like that's one theory, but there are other theories that this group is actually part of descendants of the people who—of the houses themselves in hmm. some
0: way. Wow, I never thought about that.
1: Yeah, and I only bring that up because—I don't know if we talk about this in our reaction episode, but it's curious that the ancestors of trillionaires would become kind of— uh it doesn't align ideologically with how blood of Eden conducts itself in that blood of Eden is like a very distributed and is like more of a collective. And that is not how (laughs) trillionaires in the earth that God came from. And ours currently are capitalists for the most part, or believe in consolidating power and control. And that is not how blood of Eden operates. So it is just a curious thing that you could go from that kind of ideology into what Blood of Eden is now. So, I, jury's still out for me on who Blood of Eden's ancestors
0: really are. Interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah. I mean, it it has been ten thousand years, which, as we talked about before, would have been like the Ice Age, <laughs> and the amount of like political <laughs> systems that have we have cycled through have been (laughs) multitudinous sure
1: but you can also see like in Tamsin in this universe that Tamsin Mir has created the houses that originate with each of these lictors like are still very much rooted in who those lictors were 10,000 years ago also right and so anyway it will be I can't wait to find out I have no idea but all that's to say is to come back to Bennett's question I don't know maybe maybe it's something really deeper and interesting about wakes why wake eyes are yellow but if that is the case we just we don't know we don't know
0: yeah i mean i think my my like i'm more interested in why johns are yellow why did electo say yeah. you know what <laughs> yellow is the color that i want to be necromancy Same. color <laughs> totally so, yeah and also like why don't other necromancers have yellow eyes right Totally, and you know what? My actually, my main theory is, it's because mm-hmm. it's science fiction and it's cool. <laughs> that's kind of that's it's art. It's artsy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's cool.
1: It's that's cool. where I come it's down. Artsy, <laughs> yeah.
0: All right, and then finally, uh, just a quick comment that we got on Twitter from B. Is this the same B? Interesting. Possibly. Possibly. Anyway, from a book quote girl asks us, does Camilla ever call Palamides by his name or always his title? Maybe I'm blanking on it, but I feel like it's the latter. And I didn't know the answer to this question, but I will keep an eye out going forward. Does Camilla ever call Palamides Palamides? So I'm pretty sure, and
1: this is good homework for me. We should come back to it. I'm pretty sure that Camilla refers to Palamides by Palamides' name to other people. Mm -hmm. I don't actually know if Camilla addresses pal by his name to his face or to him.
0: Yeah. Um, She's always like indubitably warden. Warden. It's very sexy. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Jesus
1: Christ. Proper titles only. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, let's look out for that because I hadn't picked up on it. So now we'll be looking for it. Mm hmm. I did want to close us out real quick before we do our official close on just some book shout outs that I've read recently that I think are so good. And I've been on a a desperate mission Mm -hmm. to read really good books. One, just to read them and love them. But two, to like, give me something to do reading wise while we're waiting for the next book and fill the the void void. in my heart. (laughs) And I will say that I am currently on volume six of the Monstrous series. Um, It's a graphic novel, kind of epic, by Marjorie Liu and Sana uh, Takeda. Mm -hmm. It is incredible. The art is amazing. The writing is so good. It is really complicated. I am on my second read-through of the first six uh, volumes. Dang. Because I wanted to like really understand what was happening before reading the seventh and then the eighth. It's also still going, but you've got a lot of volumes. So you can really uh, bide your time with that series. It's really good. And I also just finished a book called The Genesis of Misery by Neon Yang. And actually, I heard about it because there was a podcast that Tamsin Muir was on, A Voyage to Genre, which is a tour.com podcast. Um, and they interviewed both Tamsin Muir and Neon Yang. And I thought, hey, if uh, if they're interviewing this person on the same episode as they're interviewing my favorite author, mm-hmm. then this has got to be good. And let me tell you, the genesis of Misery is so fucking good and it blew my mind at the end and when i see you this weekend amy i'm bringing it to you so that you can borrow it but those are just i just wanted to throw those recommendations out there because i struggle sometimes to find books that really hit the spot and and these for me are doing it
0: yeah also uh that reminds me that we have had a couple questions now about what we'll do after this podcast is over which is going to be like literally years from now but um (laughs) Looking ahead at that moment when, when we have fully covered Electo and interviewed Tamsin Mirror like four times, right? <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we will probably, I mean, ha- at least have a conversation about covering other books. I don't know. So, So book recommendations are great so that we can continue to read really, really good books and maybe have content for a future podcast. Also... Tell Torta, hire us.
1: <laughs> Please pay us. Yeah, to no do Mel. This. Just
0: <laughs> just think about it. We could do like queer rereads of queer novels for jobs. Yeah. I
1: I'm in. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Someone give us a job, hire us. <laughs> we're we're
0: cute and funny. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right, with all that said, thanks so much for joining us. If you have questions or comments or want to point out something that we missed, send us a question on our website, lockedtombpod.com or on Twitter at lockedtombpod. Just a reminder that we are extremely behind on answering these emails, and we are <laughs> sorry, as Jod said, I wish I'd done the smarter thing and mastered time. Help us stay motivated <laughs> by rating and reviewing us wherever you listen. Thanks as always to Olivia Kay for our theme music. I'm Amy. And I'm Mel. And we'll see you next time here at the Locked Tomb Podcast.